If you are new to us, my name's Daryl. I'm the assistant pastor here uh, at Midtown 12 South. And for the last uh, couple weeks, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, kind of walking our way through as uh, Nehemiah and uh, the people of Israel, the people of God's uh, church, God's people are building uh, this wall to sort of fortif refortify the city um, and kind of drawing the parallels that we need to draw there as we are ourselves um, in a rebuilding phase as we've progressed through the pandemic and knowing that God has uh, brought us tons of new folks during this time, um, wondering what uh, our role is in the world uh, as we uh, seek to build and advance God's kingdom throughout the globe um, and see what he has for us. So that's where, uh, that's why we chose Nehemiah. That's where we're gonna be. We're gonna be in chapter four this morning. Uh, we started with the first half of chapter four last week, which showed um, the build, as the building of the wall was happening, uh, Nehemiah encountered uh, tons of opposition uh, by the way of two guys, Tobiah and Sanballat. Uh, they came in with some of their cronies to sort of uh, stop the process to really flex and intimidate uh, the Jews uh, into stopping their work. Uh, they were surrounded on all sides and uh, what looked like uh, a place where they would give up, Nehemiah encouraged them to keep going, to keep building uh, because God uh, fights for them. It's God who fights for us and as we are engaged in his work, uh, we can remember and continue on in that work knowing that God uh, is overseeing it all. So that's where we'll be this morning. Uh, Nehemiah 4, uh, verses 15 through the end of the chapter. I believe it's like 22 or 23. Uh, so let's give our attention this morning to the reading of God's word, Nehemiah 4. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work, uh, on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side and while he built, the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. And so we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes and each kept his weapon at his right side. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, it is um, my arrogant and unrepentant heart that comes to this passage and thinks that there's nothing uh, you could have for me in this. Um, and so I repent of that. I repent of this belief that, um, that we don't need this, uh, that it's not as valuable as other passages. And so, uh, Lord, as we dive in uh, to what you may have for us this morning, would you open uh, first the eyes of the messenger, uh, but also the eyes of uh, all of us here uh, who are listening and hearing your word preached, your word spoken, um, that we uh, would engage with it, uh, knowing that it is you who has authored it, uh, knowing it is you who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And so uh, we ask that you allow us to see Jesus uh, in and through and under this passage, uh, that we can come uh, to his table today 
um, coming repenting, coming believing, um, having faith uh, that he is who he says he is. Uh, it's in his name we do pray. Amen. Uh, so Nehemiah 4, sort of three things we'll see here uh, in this passage uh, as it pertains to God's church. Uh, Israel were the people of God. They were the church sort of in seed form. Uh, so for the church has you know, kind of progressed to where it is today, uh, it started with this small group of folks uh, in Jerusalem. And so that's where we're gonna look. It's where we're gonna put uh, most of our focus on what does God have for his church now as we read uh, such a passage from so long ago. So first we're gonna see the church scattered. Uh, they are scattered about the wall, about the building project. We're gonna see the church gathered. Uh, Nehemiah saying that uh, if he blows the trumpet of distress that everyone would gather in one spot. And lastly, the church covered, which is the church covered uh, in the prayer and the blood of Jesus uh, as its leaders uh, who stay up all night looking for it. So we're gonna look at that. Uh, three things, scattered, gathered, and covered, which reads like a Waffle House order. Uh, I realized that on Friday. I was also hungry when I wrote this. And so that's where we're gonna be. So think about Waffle House, we'll be good. Uh, so let's start with the church scattered if we look at verses 15 through 19. This passage opens with the work on the wall resuming. Now, uh, this wall would have been a massive undertaking. Uh, we don't live in a city, it's not necessarily surrounded by walls. Um, and so it might be a little lost on us, but for Jerusalem, uh, all their safety and all their security was behind the fact that these walls surrounded the city and it was hard to get in. Uh, this wall would have been uh, over a mile long, would have been about four or five feet thick, would have been about 15 feet high. So this was no small thing uh, that they were undertaking here. And with this passage that uh, we spoke of last week, kind of leading into this one, uh, Tobiah and Sambalot are uh, sort of there to intimidate, which would have slowed the work down. So Nehemiah knew, hey, we're on the clock here. We gotta get this thing going. Uh, from the beginning of the project to the end, it took about 52 days. Uh, and they worked, uh, Nehemiah is gonna show us that they had to work around the clock uh, to make this happen. Um, and knowing that they are scattered throughout this one mile uh, radius of wall, uh, one mile stretch of wall, uh, meant that they are, uh, and because they're scattered, meant that they were vulnerable to attack. So it'd be like from the kind of the front door of our church to the front door of our Granny White campus, which is almost exactly a mile down the road. Uh, it would have been like all of us just stacking bricks all along that way, uh, knowing that there's, like, there's no live stream of this. And so uh, people could attack at any point in the wall. And so Nehemiah knew that as, the, as God's people are scattered, um, that they're vulnerable. Uh, but they have to be scattered in order to do the work. And uh, that's the same is true for us, it's true for the church, uh, that we spend most of our time scattered. Uh, we're here on a Sunday morning for about an hour or three hours of Elliot's preaching. It just, it just depends on how he's feeling. Um, but we're here just for a short amount of time, so we spend most of our time actually away from here um, because we have jobs and we have kids to raise and we have class to go to. Um, we have to be a kid. Uh, there are tons of things that we're engaged in throughout the week, um, but still engaging in those things as God's people. Like we don't lose that identity, uh, but we're scattered throughout uh, the city, uh, working at our jobs, uh, working to uh, make a difference, working to make an impact, working to make sort of this patch of grass a little better than we found it. Uh, but we know that as we do that, we're wildly vulnerable to attack. Um, there may not be Tobias and Sambalots waiting outside your door to kind of take down what you're trying to build, 
but we know that as we spoke last week, there are um, internal fears or psychological noise that goes on. Uh, we can often wonder if our jobs matter at all. Uh, we, can, we can wonder, is anything I'm doing even making a difference? Uh, does God really want me to even do this? Uh, and so we know that as we work, because work is good, work was a, uh, what we call a pre-fall mandate. So before uh, the fall of mankind, which happened in Genesis 3, uh, the mandate to work was actually given in chapters 1 and 2, uh, where Adam and Eve were told to um, take dominion over the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth, to work and to keep it and to tend the garden. And so uh, work is not a bad thing. Work is not a curse, although our work is cursed uh, because the fall happened. Um, there was a promise that there'd be thorns and thistles and that work was gonna be a little difficult, uh, but that we're still to engage in that. And so as we're already engaging in something that's hard, um, we now have even more reason uh, that we could be prone or vulnerable to some sort of attack. And so Nehemiah knew this, uh, that as he is giving the jobs to the folks, he's telling some of them, hey, you hold the shield and the spears and the bows and the coat of mail. Some of you are gonna build. Uh, some of us are gonna watch out for you. Uh, that there's always, uh, even if we are scattered, we, are, uh, we do the work knowing that we're not alone in this job, that we're not alone in our ventures. And so uh, as they're out and about and building this wall, uh, Nehemiah makes sure that they're armed, which is really the job of the church. It's really the job of your pastors, the job of your staff, uh, small group leaders and things like that. Uh, we see in scripture uh, that we are uh, tasked with equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And so uh, while we won't arm you with a spear as you go to your small group or to your job, it's probably illegal. Um, what we want to arm you with are the means of grace. We talked about this last week. Um, we have uh, preaching of the word, the reading of the word. There's uh, sacraments, uh, which we're gonna take here in a little bit with the Lord's Supper. Uh, then there's prayer, and then there's a communion of the saints. So those four things that are given to us, these weapons that are given to us as we fight against, not against uh, Tobiah and Sambalot, but as we see in Ephesians 6, we're fighting against principalities, whatever that means. We're fighting against forces of evil. We're fighting against racism. We're fighting against injustice. Uh, we're fighting against homelessness. We're fighting against all these things that we look at and say, hey, this is broken, um, and I wanna come in and help to fix this. Uh, so those are the things that we're fighting against, and those are the weapons that we're given. Uh, and this morning, we're gonna focus a lot on uh, prayer and what that looks like, uh, because for Nehemiah, uh, it was always the first thing he ran to. Whenever uh, he's meeting with King Artaxerxes and asking to even go back to Jerusalem to start the project, we're told that he prays. Um, and he prays almost at every moment uh, that he comes into some sort of turmoil, some, court, some sort of conflict. Um, he's always praying, um, which is a good reminder for us. So as we see even in the New Testament uh, with what Jesus is doing, Jesus sort of acts that same way. He's always praying. He's always spending time with God. That Nehemiah prays at every turn. Uh, because he knows that this is what's actually gonna fuel this project. It's not gonna be um, all the folks uh, jumping in and like building really fast, even though that's good and that happens. Um, Nehemiah knows that for the Christian, for the one who follows God, um, that all before we enter into any work, we enter into it with prayer. Uh, in the 1800s, there's a pastor named Charles Spurgeon who uh, pastored this church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It's in London. And he uh, was sort of like a megachurch before megachurch was a thing. Um, a super humble guy. And um, 
he would speak to like thousands and thousands of folks every week. And um, in his work, people were always very interested in what he was doing. And so he would have visitors come. He's sort of like the celebrity pastor, even though he never like embraced that or wanted to be that. Uh, but folks would show up to, uh, to the tabernacle all the time wanting to like hear how he does it. And so this group of students came, there's probably five or six of them, and they show up to spend some time with Spurgeon and um, sort of pick his brain a little bit. They go and see the, like the auditorium where he speaks, and it's this huge, uh, massive architectural uh, genius that he uses to, uh, to speak to so many folks without using a microphone. Um, and they're like impressed by that. They're impressed by the willingness of the people to, list, to sit and listen to Spurgeon, the work that they're doing throughout London. And uh, they ask him how he does it. How does he find the energy to pastor this many people? And so he asked them if they would walk downstairs to the furnace with him. He's like, would you come down to the boiler room with me? Which is kind of a weird thing to ask when you first meet somebody. Um, but he takes them down to the basement and he opens the furnace room door. And in that room, there's about a hundred folks who are just praying. They're kind of nameless, faceless folks. Uh, we don't know who they are. Uh, they weren't famous, they weren't Spurgeon. Um, and he tells the students that came to visit him, this is what powers what we do upstairs. Just as this furnace powers, uh, like the heating and, uh, that's coming in, just as it keeps us warm, the prayer of these saints fires up my heart to go and preach. Spurgeon knew that without an army of folks praying for him, um, that he would be doomed. Uh, and we know that. And you may not know this, because I was supposed to tell you the last two weeks and I forgot, so there's no way that you know this. Um, but we have a group that prays upstairs uh, at the nine o'clock service every Sunday. Uh, they're in the office at the end of the hall. Uh, and it's just a group, like three or four folks who just pray for Elliot, they pray for myself, they pray for you guys, uh, praying for all of us and all the work that's taking place. Um, they want to welcome you up if you have uh, prayer requests. If you need prayer, you can go up there and see them. Uh, we wanna start that at this service. Uh, we just need a couple of folks to help with that. Uh, so we'll probably be reaching out to you to, to get that going. Uh, but we know that that's actually what fuels what we're doing here. That's what fuels the work of Nehemiah. That's what fuels the work of the church scattered is that that is what protects us while we're on our own, that we can pray to God and prayer is weird, I know. And it doesn't make sense. And I never feel like I'm good at it or good enough or whatever that means. Um, I mumble a lot. Like, what is this? What is prayer even doing? Uh, we know that it's difficult. Uh, and yet God calls us to do it. So we need to, uh, one, realize that we have that weapon. And two, how do we start to uh, kind of hone our skills and brandish that weapon a little more effectively? Uh, that's what is made available to the church scattered. But what else is available to the church, uh, Nehemiah shows us here in verse 19, is that in times of distress, we get together, uh, that we're gathered together. Uh, for Nehemiah, for what he's saying here, uh, this was to be done if there was a point of attack on the wall that like we wouldn't know about, you know, half a mile away or whatever. Uh, this trumpet would blow, everyone would go there and they would start to fight uh, back the forces that were coming on them there. And so we see the church scattered, but what does it mean to be the church gathered? Which is gonna be our second point. Um, uh, so if we look at 19 and 20 again, he says this, and I said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we're separated on the wall far from one another. And the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, because our God will fight for us. Nehemiah knew that they were vulnerable on their own, that they couldn't fight by themselves, they couldn't hold back 
uh, what was coming against them that because they're scattered, um, they were just sitting ducks. And so Nehemiah shows us uh, the importance of what it means to gather together. Uh, that every Sunday, every Lord's Day, the first day of the week, uh, we come together, there's a call to worship with sort of this trumpet call that we would all enter into worship uh, to hear what God has for us. Uh, this glorious reminder of uh, we can know in our heads that um, there are other Christians out there. What we do here reminds us because we can bump elbows with them. We can share coffee with them. We can go grab food after this with them. We can sit next to them. We can sing together. We can take communion together. That we know that while we're here, we're not alone. And that what happens in here um, with all of the weirdness that goes on in our hearts, uh, that for even this hour, uh, we're together. And so Nehemiah says the importance of the church gathered is not to be overlooked. Where we center and organize our day around um, God's beautiful design for his people, that they would be together and that he would be with them. Um, there's this old joke about the Catholic monasteries that the monasteries were perfect until they let people in. And that's sort of the case of church, right? Is because we know like the perfect church doesn't exist. We get close, but it doesn't exist. Um, because we're all sinners and we all come to this place. So even in the midst of, uh, of being gathered with other sinners, God is still saying, please do this. Please meet together. Uh, this is the most concentrated uh, place to find God on this earth until Jesus returns and we spend time, uh, or we spend eternity forever with him. Uh, so we have to ask, um, my friend Drew is a uh, pastor in Fort Worth and he's at a church called Watermark. and. Uh, he often speaks of a church being either a cruise ship or a battleship. Um, there's a difference, if you didn't know that, between cruise ships and battleships. Um, that church could be either a cruise ship or a battleship. And I like, I made a confession about loving professional wrestling last week. My confession to you this week is that I love like trashy reality shows. Um, I don't know why, this, this is who I am. Um, and there's, uh, there's one that I've gotten into called Below Deck. I don't know if you know this show. Um, there's a prayer group that meets at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you need to confess that, that you watch that show. Um, it's a show where they, uh, these dudes have yachts and they like charter them around. They call it a charter in the biz, if you didn't know that. Um, so they take these trips all around and there's this crew that sort of makes sure that everything goes well. And the crew is, they're just in chaos all the time. Like they're just nuts. It's like the real world. Like they're just crazy. And uh, they're, uh, they're always going on these trips. And before a trip goes, Captain Lee or Captain Sandy will always come down. And they remind them every week that uh, their job is to entertain these folks. Like your job, as these folks are coming on this ship, they paid a lot of money to be here. You need to make sure that their drinks are never empty. You need to make sure that they're eating the best food they've ever eaten. We need to make sure that they're riding the jet skis around, they're going down the inflatable slide, they're doing all those things that we don't go into like water that's choppy, it's gotta be smooth sailing or they're gonna be upset. We gotta provide all these things for him, for them rather, with the hopes that they'll leave us a big tip um, and also that they'll book another trip and that they'll tell their friends. Like that's what they wanna do. Let's make more money, let's make sure they have a good time. Uh, that's sort of the point of yachts, of, of cruise ships, um, you know, they serve sort of the same purpose. The first purpose of a cruise ship is to spread COVID. 
the second purpose of a cruise ship is, uh, is that you don't have to do anything, right? You just show up, you kind of walk on it blindly. Um, they start handing you stuff, you get to sleep in a tiny room. Um, and they're just like, hey, just while you're here, you don't have to think about anything. Um, and so you come on a, a cruise ship or a yacht or anything like that, and you are, are, are instantly just served, but you don't have to do anything. All right, they'll come and take your kids, shoot them down a water slide, you can go get pink eye in the pool. Like, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do, uh, and it doesn't really cost us anything or, like, mean anything. Um, and there are churches that are like that. Um, and they're doing well, right? There are a lot of Christians who are like that. It's kind of what they want from churches, what they want their church experience to be. Like, don't ask me to do anything. Uh, just let me show up, take my kid, um, give me coffee that tastes whatever, but give it to me. Um, and then I'll leave here and I'll be like happy. And I might bring a friend and I might give you some money. Uh, there are churches who do that really well. Uh, and then there's this thought that what if church is more like a battleship where instead of just showing up, uh, when you show up, you actually have like a job to do. Um, that there is a position for you, there's a place for you, that we need you, you need us, that there's a banner flying over our ship that says we're in this together and we're fighting against the injustice in the world. What if we took an approach to church that looked a lot more like that? Because that approach is actually a lot more exciting. Uh, that, that approach means that these people are looking out for each other and they're loving one another. This is what Nehemiah is saying, that when they're scattered about and they're prone to attack, uh, that once a week for us, the church now, the church here in 2021, we can gather together and see uh, that we can come here and be fed uh, spiritually, we can be taken care of, we can see and meet other Christians and also see um, that we're in this together and that we're fighting together with whatever tools we have. Whether you're an artist, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a pastor, uh, whether you're staying at home with your kids, all those jobs matter. And all those jobs have a place and they have importance. And we don't just tell you that so we can get volunteers downstairs, even though that's part of it, do that. Um, we don't just tell you that for that reason, we tell you that because it's true. That we know there are some of you here who don't wanna go downstairs because you're with your kid all the time. And you're like, I just need a break and that's fine. Do that. Because what you're doing the other six days in 23 hours of the week is that you're speaking to your kid in a way that you know I'm raising this kid to love the Lord someday. That our family is gonna move forward. Uh, that this message of the gospel won't die because we're gonna keep going. What if the church look like that? What if that is what God actually designed? What if that is what Nehemiah is building to? Not, uh, not a nation of folks who are just gonna relax once this wall is done uh, we're gonna con continue the work even when the wall is finished. So we have the church scattered, we have the church gathered. Uh, but what Nehemiah tells us, uh, the reason we are allowed um, even the mercy and the grace to fight um, is that God fights for us. This is Nehemiah's reminder uh, in chapter 20. Let us rally here, our God will fight for us. And he says, so we labored at the work. They knew that God would fight for them and they kept working. They didn't stop, they didn't rest just because they knew that, they understood we still have a job to do. Uh, and so they kept working and Nehemiah says they kept working so much and the leaders didn't sleep. For 52 days we're to believe uh, that they didn't sleep. Now we're all humans 
And we know that's not true, right? They had to sleep sometime. You can't stay awake that long unless you're watching Below Deck Marathon on Bravo. Like you can't stay awake that long. And so we know that Nehemiah and his friends had to rest at some point. But what Nehemiah knew in his heart of hearts, what Nehemiah was staking everything on was that God doesn't rest. He rested on the Sabbath, we see that in scripture. God doesn't sleep. God doesn't slumber. The psalmist tells us that, that the God of heaven neither, neither sleeps nor slumbers and he will not cause your feet to fail. Nehemiah could work because he knew that God was at work, that God was at work in the world, that God is at work over the universe, that the wall that he was building is gonna provide safety and security for those inside of it. But he also knew that there's gonna come a day when the Messiah, Jesus, is gonna show up and he's gonna be outside this wall and he's gonna be staying up all night and he's gonna be praying. He's gonna be praying for us. On the eve of his crucifixion, he's in this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying and he's begging, and he's asking God, let this cup pass from me if that's your will. Told in scripture that he's praying so intently that it's like sweats, uh, that, the, that the sweat was like drops of blood on his forehead. Uh, that Jesus is praying so intently with his eyes closed, God, let this cup of wrath pass from me. And when he opened his eyes, he realized that that was not gonna be the case that that cup of wrath was gonna be poured out on him, uh, that he was going to go to the cross, that he was going to die, that he was gonna redeem the Israel that's building this wall in the day of Nehemiah, that it's gonna be redeemed and God's people are gonna gather uh, once again in the blood, uh, under the blood of Jesus, under the cover of all the grace that is made available to us, which is why we take the sacrament that we're about to take. Because what we know is that when God is on our side, scripture tells us if God be for us, who can be against us? Uh, we know, hey, there's a lot of people that are against us. God, my mother-in-law's against me. There's a lot of people who are against us. But what we know, what we can stake our claim in is that he hasn't forgotten us. And that as God's people who are progressing through the world as the church militant, we also profess or progress as the church triumphant. Uh, that we understand that Jesus has fought for us uh, and that he's establishing and advancing his kingdom here and we are a part of that work. That's why it was crazy when we look back at like the early church, when we read that account in Acts uh, of what the church did uh, when they were first formed and we kind of get, we kind of feel guilty and shameful that we're not that way. That's certainly not the point of that passage. Uh, we see uh, that the people are sharing the, all that they had together uh, that they're meeting each other's needs, that they're breaking bread together, that the Lord is added that our number daily, those who are being saved. It wasn't just that the church was taking notice of this, it's that the world took notice of this. Uh, the Roman emperor Julian wrote in the fourth century, he said this about the Christians in Rome. This is crazy. I regret the progress of Christianity because it's pulled people away from our Roman gods. He said the Christian faith has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal to me that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. That's crazy. 
This is the Roman emperor writing saying there's not a single Jewish beggar. Look how well they take care of their people. And not only their own people, he says, those foolish Galileans, the godless Galileans, not only care for their own poor, but for ours as well. So much so that it's pulling people away from the false gods into worship for the true God. This is how, this guy's an outsider. He's not a Christian. He's not part of the church. This is what he's saying about the church. That's not what's said about the church now, right? That's not what's said at all. You can flip on Fox News if your TV allows it. Uh, You know that this is not what's being said about us. But it could be. It could be. And I think it starts here. Nehemiah knew that uh, Jerusalem was going to be a great city. It was going to be a city on a hill that those uh, from all around were going to come and that Ezekiel's uh, vision of the temple of, of God where it starts out as a small trickle and then you can dip your toe in it then you can wade ankle deep and then waist deep and then knee deep and then Ezekiel says it, it overflows the banks and floods the land around it. Now that can be true of us and that's what Nehemiah was building here but it starts with coming to the Lord's table. It starts to come into the Lord's table and saying, I wanna be a part of this work because it's you who has given up your life for me, Jesus. I want to be a part of this work that I'm motivated by your grace to work, not the other way around. We lose the gospel if we do that. Remember, Jesus told the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. If you flip that around, you lose the gospel. So we come to this table, we come here because we realize that as we fight and work as the church scattered and as we come and worship as the church gathered and as we live uh, under the banner of heaven as the church covered by the grace and by the blood of Jesus, uh, that he allows us to take of the sacrament every once in a while, we do it once a month here, uh, to remember the work that he's done. That for just a second, as John Calvin says, our heads are poked into heaven. Uh, and we can hear the joyous singing of the angels. That's what happens when we take this. Uh, When we take these little kits, that for just a moment, spiritually we're transformed, uh, that we can see that uh, the body and the blood will sustain us. So as we come to the Lord's table this morning, as we come uh, with all our sin, all our shame, and all our guilt, and all our sadness, um, would you throw that on the Lord? Uh, would you dare to believe that he has covered you with his blood? Uh, that as we have received and rested in him alone for salvation, uh, that he truly does save us and he truly does change us. Uh, so let's pray together. Father God, as we are to partake uh, of this sacrament that you've given us, we ask that uh, you would be gracious to us, that you would have mercy on us uh, as we as we seek uh, to examine our hearts, as we seek to examine ourselves, it opens us up to a whole lot of accusation from the devil. So would you bind the evil one? Would you deliver us from the evil one? Uh, Would you lead us into paths everlasting? Uh, And we would leave here rejoicing because you've done such a thing. In your name we do pray, amen.